0: Oh,
1: Hello, and welcome to the If We Knew Then Podcast. I'm Stephen Sox. And I'm Lori Sox. And today we are joined by Charlotte and Riley and Charlotte's mother, Karen.
0: This is a conversation that I wish I had before Liam was born. I wish I had this available to me because this is just a story of love and lives well-lived. Charlotte has a dual diagnosis of Down syndrome and autism. Riley has the diagnosis of autism and you know the truth is none of that matters when it comes to being courageous and living our lives and just moving beyond any of the limits exterior limits that people put on us and that's what this conversation is about and that's what this conversation demonstrates and I just wish I would have had this conversation 13 years ago when I was given my son, Liam. If I would have had this conversation under my belt, I think my path would have been easier and my own courage would have been a little more complete.
1: So welcome, Charlotte, Riley, and Karin. Hi, guys.
2: Hi. Hi.
0: It's so wonderful to finally meet you.
2: Yes. I see you.
1: You know, we've uh, both seen your Facebook page, the Charlotte and Riley forever, and we love seeing your pictures together and listening to your story through that page. And I'm so glad you guys came on to the show. Uh, we are too.
0: What I really want to talk about is there's stereotypes and misperceptions that are out there, and those are really the narrative or the story that families are given. And historically, it's limited really, and it's perpetuated the stereotypes. Right. And talking to you today, like, how have the stereotypes impacted you? Because what I've realized doing this podcast, one of the things that I've learned is as parents, we are highly impacted by misperceptions and stereotypes. But any individual that I've ever interviewed, with Down syndrome isn't as impacted as the parent because I don't believe, or I'm getting the feeling that the stereotypes aren't really part of your dialogue. Do either of you experience that? What I feel is as a parent, you get a list and people are telling you what your child can do. But as an individual, it's the environment that you're around, or what, like the people around you believe and tell you, you're able to do more than a stereotype.
3: Yeah, is that so, Charlotte?
0: Uh, I, I think so. Charlotte, growing up, were you aware of any of the limits that maybe were placed on you as far as your ability for school or an education?
2: Uh, yeah, yes, um. I've been going to college now. Uh, I go to South Perth College here. I'm um, doing different subjects here now. I'm doing Spanish, uh, intro to uh, social work, and art uh, history.
0: Did you always know you wanted to go to college? I always wanted to go to college. Did anybody ever tell you you couldn't go to college? Yes. And who told you that you couldn't go to college?
2: Um, uh, basically,
0: um, England.
1: England, yeah, the whole whole country. <laughs> How
0: did you? So, what did you do in the fit Because you're clearly going to college. Yeah. <laughs> when you were told you couldn't, what did you do? What was your response?
4: Can I answer that one? Who who
0: are we? Who <laughs> whose voice? Who's that third voice right there? I'm Charlotte's mother,
4: Karen.
1: Karen. Oh, hello. I have
4: to apologize. I, I have dementia, so sometimes I get a bit muddled. Um, what was the question again?
0: The question was, Charlotte goes to college. Charlotte's always wanted to go to college. Yeah. I asked, did anyone ever tell her she couldn't? And she said, yes, all of England. And I asked, how did she overcome that? Like, what was, you know, someone tells you no. It's hard when someone tells you no to challenge that no for anybody. So how did you challenge that now?
4: Well, I think we've got to go back to secondary school because in England, there's like a tracking system. And so the people that do GCSEs then go on to do A-levels and the people that do A-levels go to university. Well, Charlotte's school, after she passed um, her GCSEs, got an A in science and English. And I think she didn't do too well on the maths. They told her to not bother with A levels because she's not university material, and no universities would ever accept her in England. And so I think Charlotte didn't really uh, agree with that, and so she went to um, what was named University Uh, Goldsmiths. Goldsmiths. She went to Goldsmiths University, spoke to them, and they allowed her to audit classes. So this wasn't for a degree. But it was the first person with Down syndrome they had ever allowed to audit classes at Goldsmiths. And so that was the first start. Um, She audited classes at Goldsmiths. And I think you you did quite well, didn't you? Yeah. Yeah. And then she met Riley. And then when she decided she wanted to come here, she had to sit for the exam at the college junior in maths and English.
2: Yeah, maths and English.
4: Yeah, it was a very long exam. And that's how she was able to take classes here.
0: For those exams, were you able to use any accommodations?
4: Oh, um, I don't think they did. They didn't even let me use a calculator for the maths, did they? Not really. No, I don't think they did. They, she only got accommodations uh, like three years ago when she kind of fought for it. Because initially they wouldn't let her use calculators for math. maths. Uh, portion of exams, but then she took statistics, and apparently the professors, the professors say that it's all using calculators and technology for students. Yes.
2: Right. Yeah,
4: yes. so they allowed that, uh, and she got extra time. A,
2: a double time. Double time,
4: yeah. She got double time for the math exams, but for science, English, and all the other courses she did, I don't think she got extra time. She got the same yeah. time as everyone else. So that's
3: what I know. I know that much. Incidentally, yesterday in my elementary mathematics methods course, that calculators are generally only to be used for discovery-based methods, like not for the basic math learning, like multiplication, addition, subtraction. But when you're doing discovery-based math methods, that's when to use the calculator.
0: How did you do that, Charlotte because math is math is hard education is hard i know our our daughter who's in high school now she gets impacted when her teacher she's neurotypical and but when but when a teacher like criticizes or doesn't support her um that really affects her so how did you i mean how did you learn math how did you what did you do
2: I been for years and years so
4: and, uh, and you oh. had a lot of tutoring at college, didn't
2: you? Yeah. yeah. She had a lot of tutoring at college. You were getting mostly seats on exams, weren't you? Yeah, but um, and now I got
4: to a bean But it took a lot of hard work on her part, um, so it worked really hard.
0: How did you stay uh, encouraged to keep going?
2: Well, I just keep on going. Uh, I, I know all these all these subjects at college are very, very difficult uh, and keep on trying my hardest.
0: Did you go to an inclusive school? Um, Charlotte went
4: to what we call public school, which is what you call private school. She went to um, she went to Knightsbridge Kindergarten at two and a half, and she was already reading. I had done that Patricia Old program and Taught her a slight vocabulary while she was having chemotherapy for leukemia. Um, so by the time she was two and a half, she could read, and probably ahead of some of the other children in the kindergarten. And then she went to the Roche School, which was um, an independent, uh, what you would call private school. Um, and she was the first person with Down syndrome to go to that school, and uh, and they were very open to her because the owner of the school, Dr. Roche, she has. An adult daughter with Down syndrome who worked as a as a teaching assistant. So they were they were open to having Charlotte, and uh, she was there until year seven, and then she transferred to an all girls school called Butwood School for Girls. You hated that school, didn't you? Yeah.
2: <laughs>
4: yeah. So that's where that's where she went to secondary Butwood.
0: What didn't you like about the school, Charlotte?
2: Um, some of these students are kind of. Well, some of them kind of like the bullies. So. Oh, yeah,
4: she got bullied quite a yeah. lot. She tried to escape from the school quite a few times. I think she scaled like a two and a half meter gate to get out of the school and they had to go hunting. I for think was
2: actually three.
4: It was three meters. Yeah. I don't know. It was a very high gate that was locked and she scaled it. So that was her beginning of her climbing. <laughs> and she was climbing.
0: You were actively trying to get away from the bullies. Yeah. Yeah. One thing I want parents to hear is that a lot of times as parents, not now because Liam's in a great school, but his old school would kind of put his behavior on other things and not like what the situation was at hand. And so it's just an encouragement to just really communicate and understand what your child is going through and to support them. And and be their voice. You I did. I was not aware that you had leukemia. That you were a leukemia survivor. Can can we talk a little bit about that?
4: Do you remember it? Uh, you
2: know,
4: a long time ago, she was told to, yeah. She was two years when she was diagnosed. She had uh, four years of chemotherapy. I don't think she remembers it. She probably blocked it out. It wasn't very pleasant.
0: So you're a, you're just a you're just a strong person you're just an amazing accomplished human who doesn't really take no for an answer
2: well i am strong yeah that's
4: why i've got four children she's probably the strongest of the ball she's got a very strong will to do what she wants to do we, i wasn't keen her father wasn't keen none of us her brothers four brothers none of us were keen on her moving to america but she made up her mind, that's what she was going to do, and there was no stopping her. And the same thing when she took that job in New York, none of us wanted her to work in the Bronx in that horrible neighborhood. And she said, I'm going. And yeah. that was it. She yeah. ignored the rest like, of us.
3: I was even worried about her going there. I had a hard time sleeping at night when she was <laughs> there. Because like, well, I mean, I know you hear a lot of stories about Seattle and this it, up here in Washington too. And I've never been hurt there, but because I heard all those horror stories about New York, I was afraid of her well, going so there. Well, in South
4: Bronx, so I'm mean, yeah.
0: I want everybody to be able to hear your story. So you went to school in England, and then you came over to America, and that's where the two of you met.
3: Well, that I, we could tell the story of how we met if you want to hear it. Do you, That'd be yeah, great. I think that.
0: Yeah, that that I would love to hear the story of how you met.
3: Well, I've said this many times before that Charlotte and I met the old way or the new way. We met online but not the stereotypical way of meeting online. We, we weren't on a dating website. We just happened to cross each other's profiles online. So it all started in that. That was May 2017 when Charlotte was speaking at the United Nations in Geneva, Switzerland.
4: For the first time. Yeah,
3: for that was her first. Yeah, she did twice. That was the first time. It was uh, I, in May when I saw it. And I, it was on Facebook on the Bright Vibes page. And, uh, like a, there was just somebody I knew at the time who, who mentioned my name and a comment there and said, Riley, I thought you would appreciate this. And so I, I watched her speech at the United Nations for standing up for people with Down syndrome, and I shared it on my personal profile, so it, and I'm with a caption, listen to her. And, the, and uh, it wasn't, uh, I also thought that I realized we were the same age, and I thought she was pretty. It wasn't. I thought it was too good to be true at the time because back then she was in England and I was here. Um, But uh, it was six months later when we finally had started having two way conversations. That was when we had a two way connection across the media. We started with simple conversations, and over time, simple became, started becoming like more closer bonding, like more more romantic and like. (laughs) It was like the following November when she he finally asked me, "Do you love me like a friend or in a romantic way?" I had never had a girlfriend before, not even a a date really. Really, like I had a I went to the prom, but we agreed we were just going to be friends all along. It wasn't until I met Charlotte where I, and I started having this feeling and. Uh, and then finally, at the end of the day, I asked, uh, "Well, what would you think if I said I loved you in a romantic way?" And she said, "I would be happy." And ever since that day, even though we hadn't still hadn't met in person yet, we started calling each other girlfriend and boyfriend, and it was uh, it was, th- and we started having video calls too, so we could actually see what each other looked like when we're talking. And the, the following April was when we finally met in person for the first time. That was at the hotel in Olympia where we first met and that we spent a week together here. Even though we first met in person, we felt like we did pretty much already know each other since we had been communicating across media. And then after, because she didn't hadn't actually moved here yet, she had to go back to England. So... Then six, it was six more months of a long-distance relationship. And then the following October, I decided to fly to England all by myself. And this, this was huge. I had never flown by myself before or traveled outside the country before. I topped it off combining the two. Like some people may not think of an autistic kid in their 20s traveling outside the country. But I did. The plane was wasn't so bad the scariest part was going through the customs because they thought I was it sounded like they I was all shaky because I was nervous and yes and because I think they had a feeling I was trying to live there permanently but after they talked to the to Karen, my mother-in-law on the phone she said he has autism you're just scaring him so after that they just let me go and finally I saw her through on the other side of the customs at the train station then we After that, everything was good. We spent a week together there. I got to know England a bit. It was in Surrey where we were staying there. And also the night before I had to come back here, I uh, decided we should make this official. And we decided to go to the Drummond Pub in Guildford. And I I proposed to her. Everyone in the pub clapped for us. And... uh, Oh, and of course, after that, I had to fly back here. But we also spent the Met Midway in December, and we spent Christmas and New Year's Eve together with her family in Miami, Florida. Uh, that was the longest time we had ever spent together at time more than the long first time we ever spent more than a week together. it was really hard to come back here after that time, and after that, we had had just a. A long-distance relationship for just eight more months and that was it was during that time when she was in new york over the summer actually but then at the end of that summer i flew back to england one last time and after that we were we were never far from each other again i was about to get to that so yeah we after i flew to england we spent a few days there and then we flew to strasbourg france to spend a week with her charlotte's aunt and grandmother i got to know them. And to be honest, uh, it was actually pretty good for me. Some people feel nervous about meeting their new in-laws, but I I didn't have a problem with that. It was all pretty good. They all seemed to like me pretty well. And uh, after we spent a week in Strasbourg, we flew back to England for just one night. And then we flew, but then we went to Venice to stay there for three nights. And that was a pretty good place. That's one of the best cities in the world I visited. It was We wish we didn't have to leave. And then after that, we moved back here together. And that's where we've been ever since. And she's been doing college. And also, honestly, she she inspired me to go back to college because for a while, I felt like I didn't have much motivation to be successful because I felt like, what's the point? I have no one to do it for. But now that I have her, I feel like I have someone who gives me a reason to do it. so now I'm doing it. So yeah, that's basically the story of how we met, and it's led up to this day.
1: And Riley, you're from the Seattle area?
3: Uh, well, actually, uh, I was born in Astoria, Oregon, and I spent the first four years of my life there, and then I I spent almost all of my life up to age 22, it, uh, close to the Oregon-Washington border. I always lived in a town close to the state border until I 22, and I decided I had to I couldn't live with keep living with my parents. I had to go out and start my own life in the world because I was in a small town then that really didn't have much for me. I felt like I got to go out to find it. So I, it was then when I decided to move out and start my own life. And that was where it all started when Charlotte and I were having our two-way connection.
0: So you said she's the one who gave you a motivation like before you didn't feel like there was a reason and just for parents listening I think that's so important for them to know that if if we tell you you can't I mean except if you're Charlotte if we tell you you can't or don't give you anything any reason then that does settle in you right it does yeah. it did it did start to create what your future would have been until you meet Miss um, Doesn't Take No for an Answer, and yeah. you're inspired by not only her love, but also just this example of a human who shows you that, you know, it doesn't matter what other people say. It's what you, and it really is what you believe for you, what you believe about yourself. But there's a long period of time when exterior voices can mold that belief.
1: Oh it's crazy how an untruth can be told to you and then it can it can actually happen because you maybe believe it or or just hear it so often then it actually comes to fruition because and 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 from the beginning it was actually untrue
0: but look at you like just m- motivated by love yeah uh, to even, I want to talk about the travel because that's hard and that's scary for me. Like to think yeah. about, did you say you were like 22 when you did, when you traveled outside? I was 23. 23. So there's so much that goes, there, there's so much that goes into it for anyone, but you know, just having your passport and, you know, and you flew alone.
3: Yes, I did. That was the first time I, I'd, I'd flown with my family before, but not by myself before. So I had to like, It was up to me to know what to do going through all the security and getting my boarding pass, making sure the name matches on my ticket. That was kind of scary for me.
0: Did you have a list that you took with you?
3: Oh, not really. I just read all the requirements on the airline website prior to leaving.
0: And then was there anything that you had to do on that day that people had told you that you couldn't or that you were afraid that you wouldn't be able to do?
3: Oh, I had I'd never really been told I couldn't do it, but yeah, I was afraid. One of the scariest parts for me was it said like that your name must be exactly the same as it is on your passport. My name's just Riley Cope Emlin now, but back then I had a double-barreled surname and because of that it fused together all as one on the Airline ticket, and I'm like, oh my goodness! But then I did some research, and I read that the security at the airport are used to that because it happens all the time when people have a name like that. That it also happens with names such as like O'Brien and stuff, where there's the apostrophe. So, like once I was past the check-in and the security and waiting for my plane, most of it, it was pretty smooth. And then, as I've already mentioned, after that, the only really stressful part was going through the customs.
0: What did you bring with you like during that that part? Because you're nervous that your name might not match or you're nervous of what could happen. Did you have anything with you that could, that you might have you brought calm? A, a ring? Like, you, oh, you have a ring, but that would make me more nervous. Yeah, <laughs> no, totally. But did you have anything with you? Was there anything that you did that kept you grounded or um, calm?
3: I was pretty much like all, all shaky until I finally took my seat on the plane. I was like, OK, this person accepted it. Well, this next person accepted like, well, yeah, it was after the flight attendant looked at my ticket and just pointed me to my seat. After that, that was the point where I calmed down. But before that, I won't lie, I was pretty shaky wait, waiting at the in the terminal. Waiting to, that me. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I didn't, eat, I didn't mention before. I also had my first legal drink on that plane. Unlike some Americans who are excited to go to I did, they, they turned 21 and have their first legal break. I waited two additional years to two years. And, but of on all, on all places, I had it on the plane. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and then when you went through customs and they were questioning you because they, they suspected, um, was that scary?
3: Yes, it was scary, especially since I had already been told the story of what happened with Charlotte's brother and his a girl he tried to bring into the country once. I actually. I couldn't even tell them the truth that Charlotte was my girlfriend because if I said that, they might have thought I was trying to move there permanently. And oh, I yeah. They
4: wouldn't sense about yeah.
0: And you said that when your mother-in-law told them that you had autism, how did you feel about that?
3: I actually felt like it helped supported that when she said that because she was just telling them that's just me that there's I think dangerous about me that I'm just yeah. really nervous.
0: Is that something that you would feel comfortable telling them if if you could feel that they were being very aggressive or misjudging your behavior?
3: Yeah, I think I think at the present day uh, today, I probably would have would have known more of what to say. I probably would have said that, hey, I have autism. The way you're encountering me makes is making me feel very uncomfortable. And actually that that did happen a little. Now in England, they actually now have a pass an automated passport gate where if you're from one of the eligible countries, you don't even have to talk to an officer. However, when we came back from a Strasbourg, France, we did talk to an officer because we incidentally just went down that line. But I was I handled a, a lot better that time. I just like when he asked, "What brings you to the United Kingdom?" I just said, "Oh, uh, we're just here for the night, and tomorrow we're we're gonna we'll be flying to Venice and." I even had the hotel reservation printed out just in case I had to show it, but I didn't even have to show that because I looked a lot less nervous that time.
1: I didn't really think about all the international travel, how, you know, that can kind of uh, be questioned. You know, I didn't think about that. And then I didn't think actually about you two getting married and, and how that affects Charlotte's citizenship and all that stuff too. I don't know if that was a, an issue but um how did for both of you um what was the proposal night like
2: Mm, uh, um.
3: yeah exciting and nervous because i wanted to make sure i said it exactly the right way but it was exciting too
0: were you expecting him to propose to you there and then
2: Mm, yes
0: yeah okay I don't mean to jump backwards, but really quickly about the travel because we do have a lot of parents that listen. But it sounds like there was a a, a some self advocacy that was learned in between your first trip and your second trip. How was that learned, and how do you find that it helps you to self advocate?
3: Well, I feel like that after I've gone through something that's uh, that I've never experienced before, and it's it feels really heavy, heavily stressful on me. It makes it makes actually makes me feel more confident in some of the things I do every day like another example of that is i used to be terrified of driving on the interstate because of how fast they go but now I've I've, I've I've driven when we through los angeles when we went to visit our friends in san diego and i feel like if i can do that i can do this so in general general rule like when i do something that's that's out of my comfort zone and for oh, it, it actually looking back on it makes me feel more confident in things, some things that I do every day.
0: Where I feel like Charlotte, you've, you it sounds like your life has been self-advocacy. Where did you learn self-advocacy?
2: Yes, yeah, so it was um uh, Lord. Shinquin.
0: And who is that?
4: He's a
2: disabled
4: peer in the House of Lords. so like in Parliament, sort of like what you have your I guess your Senate might be the equivalent more or less. Yeah. But it started with the with the documentary. That's when you started asking me why mothers are aborting babies with mm-hmm. Down syndrome. I think it started with that.
2: I think it's called uh, a word without Down syndrome. Yeah, that yeah. was the
4: documentary that you started asking a lot of questions yeah. about that.
0: How old were you when you saw that?
2: Oh, I, would, I think I was seventeen or eighteen, I guess.
4: Mom, did you guys watch it together? We did watch it yeah. together because there was a woman in it that Charlotte knows. She's an actress that has a son with Down syndrome. I forgot what her name is. What's
2: the actress' name?
4: The actress from Bridget Sally Jones. Sally Phillips. Stiles. That one, yeah, yeah Phillips. Sally so Phillips. So she was she was in that. And then Charlotte started to ask, well, why are these mothers aborting babies with Down syndrome? And then she wanted to know what my experience had been when I was pregnant with her. And so I was pretty honest. I told her exactly what happened. Um, It was not pleasant what happened with the doctors and hospital in England. But, um, I mean, they kept making appointments for me to have a late abortion. Uh, In England, you can have an abortion for Down syndrome up until the time the baby goes through the birth canal. Um, So you can have, you know, an abortion on the day that you're due to give birth. And so Charlotte wanted to know the whole story of everything that happened. And I told her everything and then she got quite upset by that. Is that when you wrote to, to uh Kevin Shing to Lord Sinkwin?
2: Yeah.
4: Uh yeah, she wrote to this lord in the house of House of Lords and she told him that she was upset about this and that she wanted to write a speech. Um and then she wrote a speech and she sent it to Lord Shingquin and he thought it I guess you did you want him to advise if Well, it, it, I just want his approve. You want him to approve yeah. of whether or not the speech was any good. Yeah, and then Lord Shinkwin sent it to the UN, and that's how she spoke at the UN the first time.
2: And also, I like, also went um, there twice.
4: Oh yeah. yeah, yeah, that's right. You spoke there yeah. again in twenty eighteen.
2: And also in Dublin, Ireland. Yeah, yeah,
4: yeah. In Dublin, Ireland, I think over a hundred thousand people came to hear her speak. So there were posters with Charlotte's photo all over Dublin, on the side of of uh, pubs and things. They had her photo saying she was going to speak in Mecklenburg Square. And so that's how she ended up in Ireland speaking.
0: We'd love to put any links to the speeches in the show notes so people can watch those. Um, Do you write the speeches yourself or do you have somebody who helps you?
2: Um, Well, I have all my speeches in my my notes. You wrote
3: them yourself, right? Yeah, I did. Yeah. Yeah.
0: How did it feel when you, you went into the town and your pictures on boards and everybody's anticipating your speech? How did how does that feel?
2: It feels amazing that actually put, put this up for me, so that's amazing. Amazing. Yeah.
0: Were you nervous to
2: speak? I was nervous um first time speaking, but now I I get I, used to it now, so I want to keep on speaking.
4: You seem physically ill in Dublin.
2: Oh, yeah. In
4: Dublin, because the people were shouting her name, chanting her name. And there were so many people and they were very loud and whistles and things. I think it unnerved her. And at one point, she looked like she was going to be sick um but uh,
2: i think after that she calmed down
4: you calmed down a yeah. bit yeah but i don't think she liked the noise she didn't like the people shouting yeah. or all those whistles and things they were blowing i think that kind of unnerved her and i told her you don't have to do this if you don't want to but she did it
2: yeah
0: i feel like that would be very overwhelming for anyone mom it sounds like you've created a a really inclusive home And, uh, just, just to, I was curious about the documentary and watching the documentary because a lot of parents are afraid to have age appropriate conversations, you know, and I'll just say this, that like we were just speaking this morning, there's not an equality when we're educating our children about relationships, about sex education. These are things that, um. You know, besides the conversation of driving and going to college and because it's taken off the table a lot of times that that doesn't even go onto our radar or it feels I see a lot of parents saying, oh, you shouldn't do that, or you shouldn't say that. But my goal and, and, and wish is that individuals with Down syndrome, children with Down syndrome, have the same opportunities for the same conversations and the same expectations on their abilities. And that's why I was asking all the questions about the documentary, because... Well, I,
4: I've had four children. Um, I had Charlotte later in life. I knew she would have Down syndrome, uh, you know, before I gave birth to her, I already knew. I knew it's six months. And I decided, because they were so adamant on me not having her, and I guess I'm I'm very contrary the way Charlotte is, um, that whatever someone tries to force something upon me, I'm going to go the opposite direction. So they kept trying to push for me to terminate, and I decided, no, I'm going to have her. I don't know if I did it out of spite, or I just didn't like being bullied into something. But um, I had her, and then I decided I was going to treat her like my other children. So she's never been treated any differently, you know. We put her on skis when she was two and a half years old because we go skiing in France. So if the others ski, Charlotte was going to learn to ski. And, um, you know, her father plays golf, so yes. she was
2: introduced to golf at age six. And, and also, and also climbing, so climbing.
4: Climbing, yeah. She yeah. also does climbing with her dad. So we never treated her any differently. I know I always hear from other parents, oh, if you have a child with Down syndrome, you can't travel. That's just a load of nonsense because it, her Charlotte's Down syndrome did not stop us from doing anything we did before. If anything, we probably did more. Uh, I mean, Charlotte's been all over Africa. I mean, so someone so some mother said, oh, my God, you're taking her to Africa, you know that she'll be very ill there well actually all of us got ill especially me the only one that didn't get ill and she ate all the food all over africa was charlotte so she's obviously got you know a stomach made of steel but um i just treated her like my other children we didn't treat her any differently i didn't speak to her any differently and we never told charlotte no you can never do that i was always honest with her and told her You can do it, but you're going to have to work a thousand times harder than somebody else. It's not going to come easy to you. So if you really want something, you're going to have to work very hard. It's probably going to take you longer than the average person. Um, And that's what we always told her. We never told her she couldn't do something.
0: Well, the average person has not accomplished nearly what I I have not accomplished what Charlotte has accomplished. So I feel like the stereotypes, what I've experienced on this journey, because I didn't know anything about Down syndrome, we had some uh, heavy like lean towards testing here. And we talk a lot about how the medical community really propagates the wrong narrative um, from ignorance. I feel like that's changing. But one thing that I've realized is, yes, like especially getting those early milestones, Liam walked a little later and he worked really hard and I got to really appreciate what it took to learn to walk. You're highly aware of how much work goes into it. So I think that those um, first milestones, it's the perseverance of not giving up that our children really have to endure but a lot of the challenges come from society telling us no uh, and this is only me on the outside like I say like you're you're walking the walk you have that fire in you that you don't give up Charlotte most people give up most people like when
1: it's too hard it's
0: too hard they give up or if they fail the first time they give up and so that I, I believe mom that the, or mom that the That mindset of them telling you, you know, putting a value and trying to push you towards something or telling you things were impossible gave you that fire to say, hey, you know, even if you have to, even if you have to work harder, because I'm looking at someone who thought they had to give a thousand times more, but they've really bypassed most of humanity exponentially, like just that work that you put in. Because of your story and the stories that are out there, we can educate parents to know that it is possible. And maybe these institutions, maybe the medical institution, maybe the the educational institution will stop putting so much energy into a false narrative. Because you, I mean, you bypassed it. Like it's not, it's not even a question that you could. Even just having the removal of the boundaries that society put on you. Like if you would have said, I want to go to school and they would have said, okay, here's the financial aid form. And these are the classes you wouldn't have maybe turned into this, this human that is an advocate and so inspiring. And I, and I hope that just people listening to your story or watching your videos and your, your love story, your, your everything. When people tell them, no, parents can have the courage to say, you don't know what you're talking about. You can't say that to any of, you can't tell me what any of my children will do. And it's really not your place to tell me what any of my children will do.
4: Well, we, we've never tried to dictate what Charlotte wants to do. We, we can advise and tell her. We don't think, you know, living in, in in the Bronx, New York, is a good idea and working there is a good idea or taking the tube there is a good idea. But Charlotte has something about her, and that is that she when she wants to do something, there's no one that's going to stop her, including even the Beyonce at that point. He couldn't talk her out of it.
3: Well, she made it back, and I'm really
2: glad she made it back. I I, I you know, I always come back, you know, because I came in at one piece. So, <laughs> they, uh, just for my for my lovely uh, husband, so, yeah.
0: When you go out in the world, like you came to San Diego, what's the reception when you go out into the world?
3: One thing I have noticed that when people, when people, like, are interest like, come and talk to us, sometimes they, uh. Sometimes they assume she's my sister, but I tell them, no, she's not my sister, she's my my wife. And while she may look seven, eight, 17 she believe it or not, we're actually both this only four months apart in age. And I, I even had someone think she was my daughter once, so that makes me feel old, but but yeah, but I tell them I always correct them saying no, but while she she may pass the 17, she's actually. Tw- Twenty-seven, we're, and we're only four months apart in age. So, I guess the stereotype that, and I guess one of those the stereotype there is they might not think someone without Down syndrome would marry a person with Down syndrome. Syndrome. So, I guess that's one of the stereotypes that we're debunking when we go when we tell them who we really are to each other.
4: Things on YouTube. On
3: your- yeah, I yeah they were you saw most of it. I just can't even look at it because it's. I'm more thin skinned than Charlotte. I'm not as tough at handling people when they say negative things.
4: Well, Charlotte just tells people off. Yeah. They (laughs) say something rude. It's good for you to
0: self-advocate. Yeah, I feel like there are always going to be bullies and cowards who hide behind... The computer. Yeah, they hide behind the computer saying cowardly things. And and that's just trying to make people feel bad like they do. And I'm glad that you don't give them any credence or as little as possible because it's easy to say mean things. It's hard to be a good person.
4: Well, they say silly things to her and then she reacts. But I mean, someone said that she just came to this country for a green card and to get money from the government. The government doesn't give her a penny. So I'm not sure what they're talking about. And didn't someone said also that you're rich and she married
3: you uh, for your money? I'm just not even rich. I don't, I don't come from old money. I don't have. Um,
4: just people say the silliest things and it's just all nonsense what they say so I think they must be trolls I don't think they're real real people saying these they're just silly trolls but Charlotte usually tells them off
0: good for you you're a good advocate Charlotte so you guys have been married for a year and um, I understand you cook yeah 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 Yeah. what are some of the things that you get you guys like to do together as a couple
2: well, sometimes we like to cook uh, together.
3: Yeah, like when we do pasta dishes, yeah. I make the pasta, she makes the stuff that
2: goes yeah. with it. I do the, the sauce with the pasta. Where did you learn to cook? Well, for my mom. <laughs> She's one next to me. So... <laughs> yeah.
0: Does she teach you the family recipes?
2: Mom taught me about some Cuban uh, recipes. of the first
4: things I like, taught yeah, oh, you were know, Cuban you know, dishes. You know, yeah.
0: Cumin. When did you begin teaching her how to cook?
4: Oh, when she was a teenager, I started teaching her. I think the first thing I taught her was picadillo. Yeah. And then I taught you paella after that. And what else? Oh, and then you started doing pastas with with uh, pesto and things. You yeah. did that on your own. So in England, she was, she was, you know, cooking quite a bit. And then here, initially, a little bit. And now, sort of more and more every day she's cooking now. Because of my vision, she's kind of she's kind of taken over the kitchen.
2: Yeah. Anyway, tonight I'll be making a, a rabbit.
1: And last night we kind of talked a little bit uh over social media, but you guys it was pizza night Friday night? Yep. yep. And uh Riley you did the the dough. hmm
0: what are your goals as a couple? Do you guys have any shared goals?
3: Well, we we wanna live in a nice house someday. We wanna to- all done with college so that we're just focusing on job and personal life and and we also we do want to have children even though and this is another thing we're hoping to accomplish actually we have been we have met with fertility specialists we have been told that the odds of us having a natural born child are one to two percent i mean at least he didn't say zero percent that's that's so it sounds like he was trying to be supportive but sometimes we do have a little. We do sometimes feel wonder if this is going to work. So that's another thing we're trying not to give up on.
0: That's an a amazing goal and a dream that should not be taken away from you.
1: I can see such a loving home here. You're just here. such a good gr- you know, yeah, like And how supportive you would be for any child. How lucky any child would would be to be in a home so loving.
0: You know, one of the conversations that society doesn't have is. You know, having children is challenging for anyone. There's a reason there's fertility um, specialists out there. There's a reason that there's all these alternatives and everything because it's it's just a conversation that I think that we should be more open to and understanding and and supporting when we're when we're talking about supporting each other. And I think it's really important that the doctor didn't try to take your dream away because you have down syndrome. And we also know individuals who have Down syndrome who have babies. Uh, This is something that, as parents, we're told is impossible. And so we, I don't know if you were told the same thing, uh, Mom, but...
4: uh, No, I was never told it was impossible because she has Down syndrome. I think the reason why she has virtually no eggs is because of the leukemia treatment. That's my understanding. Is that what he said? That the, yeah. the type of chemo she had it destroyed all of her eggs. That's that's what that's about. Not so much about Trisomy 21.
0: Thank you for that information because a lot. What I find is a lot of times we have certain information that's and we're only given half the story.
1: Yeah, I think people hearing this, if you if we hadn't just mentioned, if you hadn't just mentioned the leukemia treatments, then people would have been like, oh, okay. I, I assume. Uh, women with Down syndrome are unable to have children. Uh, that kind of can get perpetuated. So thank you for, for saying that.
4: Oh, no, I know I know three women with Down syndrome in Spain who have had children. So I know it's possible, but they didn't have leukemia like Charlotte did. So that's probably why.
0: And that's your very personal uh, journey as, as a couple. And it's a very sacred journey. And... Um, so I'll stop talk I mean unless you want to talk more about it but I think you're still like finishing college you know that's your journey and that should be respected as we respect all couples as your private personal journey that you take together in building your family and the the possibility and just who you are as a family already is absolutely beautiful. Thanks for just being you. The courage to be you it's it's hard. To put yourself out there and just be who you are. It's hard for anyone. And I thank you for, I just thank you for being you. Thank you for standing up against anybody who ever told you you couldn't and for being such a great example of love and what love can do. And I just love our conversation and and I wish we could have had it earlier and I wish I would have had this uh, available to me ahead of time because it just really, really fills my heart. And as a mom, it takes away a little bit of that unnecessary stress or things that I don't need to really think about right now when my son is 13. Talking to you reminds me that I support my son. I give him a foundation. I allow him to be him. I can hold my breath when he does things that scare me but allow him to do things just like you know they always say do one thing that scares you uh, it just reminds me that yeah I can do that I can do that and it's really beautiful when that's a possibility
1: thank you guys thank you and
3: thank you, you so
2: too. much thank you
1: please follow us on twitter at if we knew then pod